0: Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, it says this: Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. He believed and so became the father of many nations. I want to talk to us tonight about believing and becoming. Believing and becoming. Believing and becoming. Believing and becoming. In 2011, I had one of the most impacting dreams that I've ever had in my life. Not a dream like I went to sleep and I saw pictures in my mind, a dream like I just found myself the most audacious goal that I think I've ever found myself. I dreamed a dream that was so outlandish that my friends told me I was crazy and it was never going to happen. Because I knew a girl and she was way out of my league. Like, way out of, like, we're we're not even, we're not in the same league, we're playing different sports. It's like, it's like, it's, she was the All Blacks and I was over here reading, like, like, year one, primary school, entry level reading, three letter words, like, I knew she was out of my league, she knew she was out of my league. My friends knew she was out of my league, Her friends knew she was out of my league and they were telling her. But I dreamed a dream. Because the Bible says that Elijah was a man just like us, but he prayed. And the prayer of a a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I thought, well, God, if you can do anything, would you please do this in my life? And I dreamed a dream. And then I took some action. And I said, "Emma, what are you doing? <laughs> the day after a rise conference not, not during a rise conference. No no no, what are you doing the day after a rise conference? You, you Would you like to spend time with me?" And she said, yes, and so then I started panicking because now I have to make a good enough impression that she'll want to spend more time with me. So, so I just chipped away, I chipped away, and, and we, were, we started what, what we say as Christians. We have sometimes different terminology than the rest of the world. Christianese, we call it. Um, Righteousness, sanctification, propitiation. These are words that you might not find in the secular world, but they're words that we use as Christians. Other ones that we use, special friends. (laughs) Just hanging out. Group hangouts. This is a good one. I once knew a guy who started a life group. Yeah, no lies. He started a life group. He's like, we need a life group in our church that just goes out and eats yum cha for lunch on Saturdays. And we're all like, what a great idea. We find out three years later at his wedding, he wasn't trying to reach the world, he was trying to reach one person. But Jesus left the 99 to find the one, amen. So we're hanging out, you know, every time we hang out, I've got one goal, that she would commit to hanging out with me one more time. Because the Bible says that where well, your treasure is there, your heart will be. Most valuable resource we have is our time. And I was like, if she can put the treasure of her time with me, then eventually her heart will be there as well. So for six weeks, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm pulling out every stop. I'm Googling everything there is to Google. I'm meeting with my life group. They're laying hands on me and praying. It's, 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 it's the biggest miracle God's ever done in my life apart from my own salvation. It's, it still blows my mind to this day. And then after six weeks, her friends start talking to me and they start saying, Ray, when are you gonna make this official? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm still, like, I'm still just trying to get her to hang out with me one more time. And they're like, well, you've gotta, you've gotta land this thing now. Like, She's been hanging out with you for a long time and can I just pause, side note, it's good for all the women in the room to know that men, We seem really intelligent sometimes. (laughs) You think you've given us enough signals. (laughs) But honestly, it's like the gift of discernment just passed our gender by. It's like, (laughs) we've still got no idea. We've still got no idea. Her friends are like, isn't it obvious? And I'm like, no, (laughs) like it's not. Later on, we debrief. She's like, you know, I was flicking my hair. I was like, I thought you were just doing your hair. Like, I know it. I'm panicking, you know? <laughs> so then after six weeks, I'm uh, I'm, like, I'm like, this is my dream, that we would spend time together, that we would date, we'd become official, that maybe God could do something great through our lives. This is my dream. Would you get on board with my dream? Would you take a leap of faith? Would you take a chance on me? Take a chance on That's the Abba song. And she says, yes. So my dream then became her dream, and then it became a reality in our lives. And this is always how things work in our lives. This is how the plan of God even unfolds in our lives. God has a dream for our lives, but the dream has to become real in our hearts before it becomes real in the world around us. The dream that God has for our lives is unfolded three times. It's in His heart, then it becomes in our hearts, then we can outwork it in the world around us. The Bible says in the book of, in the book of Psalm chapter 139, it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oh, I need, I need to let you know today that before you were born, God had a dream for your life. You were not an accident, you are not on earth, you were not on earth by chance. You're not just taking up oxygen. You were made on purpose by God for a purpose. Your life counts. You were designed specifically for the plan that God has for you. If you believe it, can you say amen tonight? Isaiah chapter 49, verse one. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, He has spoken my name. Wow, wow. Like you think your parents write long Facebook posts about you on the internet? You think they send long emails to the uncles and aunties? God has been talking about you since the day you were born. He's been bragging about you. He's been declaring his plan over your life. Oh, I need you. I, I just need you to catch tonight that you are supposed to be alive right now. You have divine destiny. You are on earth for a reason. You're here to fulfill the plan, the dream that God has for your life. God has a dream for your life. He's got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But the dream is in God's heart. And it's always been there. But now the dream has to get into our hearts. Or else it never gets into the world around us. It's in His heart. Has to get in our hearts. Then it gets in the world around us. Unfortunately, we can't skip steps in this journey. If, if there was a vote, I would definitely be voting that it's just in God's heart, then it's in the world. That'd be so much easier. Like wow, that would save me so much time. If it's just in God's heart, then it's in the world. But it's actually just not how it works. We can't skip steps. And where the dream that God has for us breaks down, it never breaks down in his heart. He never changes his mind. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He has not given up on you, my friend, and He never will. Unfortunately, if the dream of God breaks down, it breaks down with us, in our hearts. When we start to believe that maybe God couldn't use us, or we start to think that God could use everybody else. Or maybe we start to believe that God has a dream for some special people, but not for me. And my prayer tonight is that by the time you walk out of this room, if you don't know Jesus, that you do know Jesus. And that also every person in this room, we walk out of here knowing that God doesn't just have a dream for somebody around us, God has a dream for each of us, personally, individually, specifically designed for us and that we start to believe that he could use us, that he could use our lives. I love this verse we read out tonight. Abraham believed and therefore became the father of many nations. And we have to embrace this step. We can't just believe that God is good. We have to believe that God is good and he can use us in our lives. Not just that he's amazing and he's fantastic, but he wants to do something amazing and fantastic through our lives. Theology isn't really theology until we apply it to our lives. We're not just trying to learn ethereal things about God. We're trying to learn more of the character of God so we can apply it to our lives so we can outwork the plan that God has for us on planet earth. And our belief is so often our number one obstacle. If we don't believe that God has a dream for us, it's hard to receive the dream that he has for us. And then even once we've received it, unless we're fully persuaded that God can use us, it becomes an obstacle in our lives as well. A.W. Tozer, he says that what comes to mind when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. That our view of God shapes our lives. If we believe in a God who is big, who is powerful, then we're gonna live a big life and expect God to do powerful things. But if we believe that God is small and weak and and He's not victorious, then we're going to start to live small and weak and not victorious lives. We have to know that greater is He who is living in us than he that is in the world. We have to start to apply the truth of God to our lives. But the second most important thing about us isn't, number one, it's what we believe about God. Second most important thing about us is what we believe about ourselves. Because if I believe that God is big, but I don't believe that God could use me or do something in my life, because I'm not worthy of love, then I'm gonna start to expect that God is gonna do big things in every other person's life. And I'm not going to expect that God's going to do anything in my life. And we all know that God is moved by faith. He is moved by expectation. God is not only moved by need. If God was only moved by need, I don't know if He would get to New Zealand. We live in a pretty incredible country. Like if God was only turning up where there was need, I don't think we're top of the list. But God doesn't just respond to need, He responds to faith. So we have to believe that God is big and He can do something big through our lives as well. This is how, as Christians, we get negative and cynical sometimes. Because we start to believe that, yeah, God is big, or we believe that He's not, and that other people are just hyping stuff up, just coming up with random things. And we're like, well, God can't do that because that's not my experience. I I just, can we we just pause, take a side note, sidebar? Can I approach the bench? (laughs) There's no such thing as hype in the kingdom of God. They just flat out isn't. This is not a hyped up church service. Hype, if you look it up in the, in the, in the dictionary, in, in your Websters or in your Oxford, hype literally means to be excited about something without a genuine reason. Wow. Wow. If there is any room on planet Earth tonight with a genuine reason for being excited. It is the room that we are sitting in tonight because we're not singing empty songs. We're not just having some party on Courtney Place. We are worshiping the King of all kings, the Lord who's above all lords, the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. We have a reason to sing. Oh, I'm excited. Come on, can we give our God some praise tonight? God wants to use all of us, and we have to believe that He can't just use all of us, but that He can use me. What I believe about God and what I believe about me combines and it shapes my life, and yours as well. The decisions that we make, the dreams we do or don't receive, and then the dreams that we do or don't live out, these are shaped by what we believe about God and what we believe about us. I love God because he's got a sense of humor. He didn't have to use us. He's not just looking for perfect people. We've all got our quirks. We've all got our funny things. But the Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Oh, God spoke to a prophet through a donkey. You thought that was a good idea when you saw it in Shrek? No, no, that's from the Bible. That's plagiarism, okay? The Holy Spirit needs to have words with somebody. This is nothing new under the sun. You seen a house fly? Maybe even a superfly. Thank you, Nate. I forgot the next line. But I bet you ain't never seen a donkey fly. He can fly? He can fly? He can talk? Yeah, he can talk. It was from the Bible. Have you ever noticed that most of the time we don't see our own potential, but everyone around us sees our potential? I think it's so like, We know ourselves better than anybody knows us, so we know all the reasons why God shouldn't use us, why He shouldn't have a dream for us, but I love God because He's full of grace, He's full of mercy, He's full of kindness, and He has a dream for our lives as well. It's it's so easy to see what God has in someone else's life. But I need you to know that God's put something special in your life as well. In Ephesians 4 verse 7 in the New Living Translation, it says, he has given each of us, that includes you, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Jesus Christ is so generous that he put a special gift on the inside of you. We call them spiritual gifts. Literally, God has gifted you in a unique way and it's like when you do that thing you're activating your spiritual gift and God just moves on your behalf and when someone else tries to do it they can't but when you do it it's easy and it's anointed and it's powerful and you're good at it and it's like it's effortless it's like it's, like it's not even you who's really doing the work but it's like Christ is working through you because he's put a spiritual gift on the inside of you I reckon one of the most encouraging things you could ever do in your life is to attend Pathway. If you give us three hours of your life on a Sunday at 11 a.m., we can literally help you discover the spiritual gifts that God has placed on the inside of you. It's my favorite moment in all of Pathway, because everybody is like, wow, I've got the best spiritual gifts, wow. And everyone sort of feels like, oh... I don't really want to read them out because I'll make everyone else feel bad because mine are the best. Because we all like our own ones the best because God gave them to us on purpose. When God puts a dream in your life, you don't have to try to be somebody else. He's already gifted you to do the things that He's called you to do. We just need to believe that He's got a dream for us and believe that He could use us. Oh, come on, if you believe it, can you praise God tonight? Can we give God some praise for the people around us who don't believe it yet? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in light of your past, in light of your present pain, in light of the times that you've tried and it didn't work? Or do you see yourself in the light of the gifts that God has given you and the dream that He has for your life? I don't think there's anything that will shake our paradigms like receiving a dream from God. We have to believe and then become. Believe and then become. There are people in this room and you're a dreamer. There are people in this room and you're the first person from your family to ever go to university and get a degree. There are people that are studying right now and it's like you are breaking through for your family. You are an audacious dreamer and we stand with you. That's a godly thing to do. And we encourage you and we thank God for you. What an incredible thing to do. There are people in this room and you're the first person in your family line to balance a budget, to have a stable marriage, to raise great kids who love Jesus. And we stand with you. You are a dreamer and we believe God with you. There are people in this room and you work in negative places. And and you're there every day, every week, trying to encourage somebody, trying to make light conversation in the lunchroom, because you've got a dream to turn an atmosphere around. And we stand with you. We dream with you. God is for you. It's a noble thing that you are doing. <laughs> Dreams don't have to be huge. They can be. They can seem tiny as well. But if God's placed it in your heart, so important that then we begin to believe that God could actually use us as well. Oh man, most of my journey has been trying to believe the dreams that God's put in my heart. Like the majority of what God has spoken to me about since I've become a Christian, like helping me with my character, few directional things. And then also, man, the majority is like, I, I can use you. I, I did call you. You are more than you think you are. Your worth is more than you know. Like, I open my Bible and it's just like, God, like, this is most of what God has taught me in my Christian journey. And I'm sure there's like one, maybe two, maybe even three people. And few, it's the opposite. And you're like, you have to like keep a lid on your pride. But I reckon for the rest of us, like, we're here in New Zealand, we, we got tall poppy syndrome. It's like, you, you put your head up, people are like, ah, oh, don't believe for that, don't believe for that. And honestly, this, this is most of what God has spoken to me about. Why is it so easy to believe the negative? I, I don't know if you know, but this is actually part of our design as people. It's really interesting. Do you know that as a human being, your brain is seven times more likely to remember a, a negative experience vividly than a positive experience? So you need seven times the positive experiences to balance out a negative experience. Why on earth did God create us like that? Well, because most of our human history, since God created us, hasn't been in the 21st century. I I drove here tonight, I used the motorway, I stayed in my lanes, I indicated. I had airbags, so I was pretty safe. There would have been a time in human history where to get to the temple or to get to church, you would have fought some wolves. There would have been bears on the way you got to avoid the lion's den. Don't be like Daniel. I know God can do it, but let's not test the Lord, you know. Let's just avoid that. Like. And so God created our brains so that we'd be good at survival. So I've got a son. He's nine months old. His name's Berkeley. He, he's just started to move. He can't really crawl yet. He can slide. So he's sort of like, you ever seen break dancing? He's sort of is doing the worm along the ground. He made it to the kitchen and there's this drawer under the oven where you put your oven trays. So he can open it, and he can close it. Praise God, he likes to open it, put his hand on the top, and then close it, and then there's tears, you know? So we, we move into this house, it's amazing, and then it happens three times. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it happens three times in 48 hours. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the rest of my life. I'm never gonna get through this season. He's too young to learn. But he's only done it three times, he hasn't done it again in two weeks. And the reason why is he's hardwired to avoid danger. So he, th- these negative experiences are vivid for him. Now, our challenge in the 21st century is that we're not out here trying to avoid wolves and lions. We're out here trying to just forget about what that person said to us that time about how our dream was too audacious. We're just out here trying to get enough of God's Word and enough encouragement from our life group to balance out that one negative thing that that person said. We're out here just like, oh my gosh, the way they looked at me, you know? We're formulating things. We're like Michael Jordan in his documentary. Oh, they said this thing to me. Did they say it? I don't even know, but it was personal. (laughs) That's what we're like, which is why we need the Word of God. It's why we need moments in His presence. It's why we always have to be found in the house of God. Because otherwise we become overwhelmed with negativity. We have to get to that place where the internal belief that we have outweighs the external negative voices. I need to know you can get to that place. You can. It's incredible, but you can. We've been talking in the series a little bit about Joseph. And in fact, the name of the series comes from the fact that when the brothers saw Joseph, they said about him, here comes the dreamer. You know how they noticed him a long way off? He had a really distinguishing coat that he used to wear. His father gave him a coat. You've heard of the Technicolor Dream Coat? They made a musical about it. I'm sure it's fantastic. Personally, haven't seen it. Can't comment on if you should. Ask your life group leader. I don't know. But they gave him this coat. And the coat symbolized the fact that he was special. That there was a plan for his life. That his father had a dream for him. So his brothers didn't like the coat. And they thought, if we can take the coat, we can disqualify the dream. So they take the coat from Joseph, they sell him into slavery, they bring the coat back to dad and say, we we think a wild animal ate him. A, A wolf, a lion, a bear. And so then Joseph becomes a slave, and he's, an, he, he's a slave. He's got his slave friends around him, and he, he knows that God is a dream for his life. He knows he's called for leadership. He knows he's called to help people. So he's like, here I am, I'm a slave, but right where I am, I'm just going to try to help people. I'm just going to try to lead people. I'm just going to try and do the things that God has gifted me to do. Yeah. Then he begins to rise in the hierarchy of slaves. I don't know how it worked back then in Egypt, but he rises to the top. And somewhere along the journey, they give him a new coat. And we know that because then he ends up in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife says, hey, Joseph, you look fantastic. Let's go into the inner room together. And Joseph says, no, I can't. And she grabs his coat. And he shrugs off the coat and he runs down the street without it. They catch him and they put him in jail. He's falsely accused and he's in jail. And he begins to rise in the jail. He's like, I might be in a prison, but I'm just going to do what God has gifted me to do. It might not look like my dream, but if I can use the gifts that God has given me, then surely God can do something through my life. So he just begins to help people right where he is. Begins to lead people right where he is. And then eventually, they find him in the prison, and they pull him out. And they say, hey, get yourself washed up. And here's a new coat. Because you're going to stand before Pharaoh. And it's in that moment that he steps into the largest stage for his dream. Now he's in front of Pharaoh. If I'm Joseph, this is how I imagine it. If I'm Joseph, I'm grateful for the fact that my coat was stolen. that the external evidence of my dream was stolen. And I'm grateful for the fact that I gave up the external evidence of my dream to hang on to my integrity and character, to survive and to make it through. Because now I'm standing before Pharaoh and I know this is not just someone's good idea. This is not a coincidence. This is not just something that someone has done externally to me. This is who I am born to be. This is who God created me to be. And now that I'm here, I'm just gonna help some people. I'm gonna show some leadership. I'm gonna believe to make a difference in my world. Oh, let me just, let me just talk to someone who's had their dreams stolen. Let me talk to someone for a second who, who felt like they had a dream and they had to give it up just for survival. I just need you to know, God has not forgotten you. God has not lost sight of you. God hasn't forgotten about your journey. God is on your side. He sees you. And the Bible says that the gift and the call of God, they are irrevocable. You can't get rid of them. They are not external. They are internal. They were put in you before you were born. Oh, come on, can we thank God that there's nothing external that defines us, but it's who He's made us to be on the inside. The bank can come and join me tonight. The bank can come and join me. You can grab a seat. I had this moment in my life. I was at a RISE conference. It's a few years ago now. And Pastor Mark Virgis was preaching. It wasn't like the Friday night. Ah, It was like the Saturday morning, 11.20. It might have even be 11.25. It was, like, it was like, this is fantastic. God is moving. But it's not like the, the big hurrah moment that you're expecting, you know? Pastor Mark starts preaching about integrity, about not having separation in our hearts, about just being one person, not two people on the inside, not being divided, having integrity, just being one person. And I'm like, what a fantastic message for all these people that I'm leading. It's so good that they're going to hear that. (laughs) There have been about three times in my life that I've sat in church and I've thought, yeah, this is so good for all these people that need to hear it, you know. And and it, literally, I'm I'm not even teasing. Each of those three times have been some of the most life-defining moments of my life. Because on a surface level, I'm like, "Oh, fantastic! What what a great sermon! I don't need to hear this one," you know. But what God wanted to do in my life that night, that that day, that morning, eleven twenty-three, was not surface level. It's way it's way down deep. So he's preaching, and he's like, "If you need to respond to God." Because you need to become whole on the inside, one person, integrity. And you need to come down to the front of the altar. People start responding to God. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. You know. I'm so Christian now. Fantastic, you know. And I just feel like God says to me, you need to respond. And I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, I won't say no, you know. Yeah. And I feel like God just says, You've got separation in your heart. And I was like, wow. I felt like God just said to me. I've spoken to you about things. I've revealed to you dreams. I've put things in your heart. But you don't believe that I can do everything through you that I've said to you that I'm going to. It's like that day I gave my life to Jesus again, you know? That's what it's like being a Christian. We we give our lives to Jesus, and then life happens. He reveals something give that part of our life to Jesus and then it's like something and then we give that part of our lives to Jesus we wake up every day give our lives to Jesus not my will, but yours and it was like that day God just he just took all my doubts and he just I just surrendered them to him and I'm just convinced from that moment to this that God can use me the same way I've always been convinced that God could use everybody else. My prayer for you tonight, so you have that same experience. Where you're like, wow. Not God could do it. Not He maybe, potentially would. But God will do everything that He promised that He would do in my life. Because it's it's not your dream. If it was yours, it would be much safer. If it was yours, it would be like, yeah, I can do this. If it was yours, it would be too small. Because God, sometimes He just gives us dreams that are so big, so audacious, so out there, so outlandish, so crazy, that when God begins to do it, No one is like, oh, you had such a good idea. What great strategy. Wow, it's all because of you. No, no, God has such big dreams for us that when God begins to fulfill His dreams in our lives, only one person gets the credit, and that is our God. Oh, some people are like, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. It 1,000% matters who gets the credit. Only our God, only our Jesus. I need to know God is moving in our church. God is moving in our church. What we declared five years ago. And five years ago, Pastor John stands up and he's like, we're going to have an online campus. We're going to reach people for Jesus through the internet. And we're all like, we believe you because we've always trusted you and it's always seemed to work out. Like it didn't make sense to many of us, but we were like, yeah, we... We believe you. Absolutely, we think it's gonna happen. And now five years later, it's like the whole church goes online. For like 600 years, it felt like in the middle of COVID. I got a friend from high school who got saved in the online campus during lockdown, had never set foot in a church until our first physical service back. Come on, can we thank the Lord for what he's doing? Oh, come on, no person gets credit. This was not a good idea. This was not a brainstorming session. This is a move of God that we are in the middle of. Come on, can we thank the Lord that He's moving? About 200 years ago, this is my last point, now I'll finish. About 200 years ago, there's a young UK politician who becomes a Christian. He's serving as a politician. And he gets radically saved. Like he was the one that was like in the tabloids for the wrong reasons. Then he becomes a Christian. Then he's in the tabloids for the wrong reasons because he starts to begin to prod the things in the world that should be different because God gives him a dream. And he starts to just say, man, you know what? You know what? There are things that we are doing that we shouldn't be doing. Because at at that point in human history, slavery was everywhere. Biggest industry on the planet. And he begins to have this dream That man, if God created me, then he created that person and he created that person and no person should be in slavery. And they call him a dreamer. But he's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And he puts a bill before parliament and he gets voted down two to one. Puts a bill before parliament, we should end slavery. And they vote him down two to one. He tries again, and he tries again, and he tries again. After 20 years, he makes a small sliver of progress. It's not until 50 years later, three days before his death, that William Wilberforce gets passed the bill that ended slavery and most of the British Empire. Come on, can we thank God that God gave someone a dream and they had the audacity to believe that God could use them. About 100 years after that, there's a young pastor His name's Martin Luther King Jr. You know the story, he's reading his Bible and he just knows every person is created in God's image. So no person should be treated differently because the way that they look or the way that they sound or where they come from. God gives him a dream and they call him a dreamer. They tell him it can't be done. And he says, you know what? I am a dreamer. Let's get everybody in town. Let's get everybody around. I have a dream. And The world has never been the same since. And as the church, we are not done. Slavery's over. Segregation is over. We've got to make sure that racism is over. We've got to make poverty history. We've got to change this world for Jesus. We've got to make suicide hotlines a thing of the past. We gotta convince every person, they are made in the image of God. They are valuable. They are called and appointed by God to do something on this earth. And as a church, we have a dream. Our dream is that that all of our neighbours, all of our friends, all of our classmates, all of our family members, all of our cousins, even that cousin, even that uncle, we could help every person find their own relationship with God. That's our dream as a church. And it's not going to take a few people. It is going to take every single one of us. The Bible says that the body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, not as some parts do the work, not as just mature parts do the work, not just the young people do the work, but as each part does its work, oh, you're an essential worker in the kingdom of God. God has called you for such a time as this.